coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Well, I must be dreaming right now because there's people in this auditorium this morning. We got people in here, Jerry. It's been a long time since I have stood right here and spoken on a Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, the last time was March the 15th of 2020, March of last year. So this means that we have spent the past 61 Sunday mornings worshiping God in our lazy boy recliners. I've been preaching for 61 consecutive Sundays wearing my ACDC pajama pants. And I'm looking out right now and I'm seeing faces that I haven't seen directly in person in over a year. And I don't even know if I'm going to be able to hold it together this morning because I, I just, I can feel the tears already beginning to come. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. And for everybody else who's listening to my voice this morning soon, we will all be together in this place again. And it's going to be glorious when that time comes. Amen. Well, this morning, our message comes to us in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you want to be turning there, I just kind of want to set the scene for where we are going. 2 Corinthians, Paul is very conflicted. Now, Paul originally was wanting to return to Corinth, where obviously he's been, he's planted a church there. But he's conflicted. Because after the letter that he has just written, these Corinthian Christians, he knows that that it's not going to be a very happy visit. It's going to be a painful visit and a very awkward visit. So he changes his mind and he is in the city of Ephesus where a riot has just almost broken out against him. Then he receives word that there are all these guys who want to assassinate him. And by the way, they, they might just assassinate you at any moment in time. And as 2 Corinthians begins, Paul writes in the opening chapter, and he says that that he was feeling so utterly burdened beyond his strength that he was despairing of life. Now, for me and anybody else who has ever been there before, we, we immediately have years to recognize this as the language of depression, where you were just so burdened beyond your strength that that you already feel dead inside, and this is how Paul feels as he leaves Ephesus. And so rather than leaving Ephesus for Corinth, Paul goes to this metropolitan seaport of 100,000 or so people called Troas. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. We find Paul doing something that is uncharacteristic of him to have done. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and starting in verse 12 says that when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find Titus, my brother, there. So I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. Well, then in verse 14, what Paul says is good news 
that interrupts his trouble as he says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are perishing. And so the Apostle Paul is, is enjoying uncommon receptivity in Troas. What this means is that as he begins speaking about Jesus in this place called Troas, it's like Jesus in the Apostle Peter's boat all over again. As, as, as we have a fisher of the souls of men speaking about Jesus and the fish are just leaping into the boat in droves. These are people who have ears to hear the gospel in Troas. Well, Titus, it appears, is is the guy who updates him about the church at Corinth. Titus, for whatever reason, was not able to meet Paul in Troas. And so as ecstatic as the Apostle Paul is at, at all of this evangelistic success in Troas, emotionally, he's very anxious to learn of the well-being of the church at Corinth. They've got a lot of problems, as we know. But more than anything, it is killing Paul because... What this means is that he's got to leave a fruitful work behind in Troas. And yet even though he is despondent and he's crestfallen about this, he makes a very, very triumphant statement. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ is always leading us in triumphal procession. I think we kind of understand the gist of what this means more or less, but he's making a very specific culture reference. And lost to our understanding is something that, that every single person reading this letter for the first time would have immediately understood and recognized. Whereas Paul speaks about a triumphant procession, what, what he's incorporating is vivid imagery of a Roman victory parade where over 200 times historians have recorded these Roman parades where whenever a Roman land or a territory had conquered another um, a secular land and territory, and now it was a Roman territory, this, this enormous victory procession would ensue in the streets. Usually it would begin where all of the valuables that had been seized in that country were paraded about in the streets, and so, so everybody's seeing gold and silver and, and maidservants and exotic animals of all kinds and all of that, that that is now their own possession. Then, in the most calculating way imaginable, a defeated commander of that other army would be paraded up and down those, those streets in absolute disgrace. People would, would laugh at them and, and sneer at them and jeer them. And it is then when their own Roman general makes his triumphant entrance back into the capital city. And he's dressed as one of the gods that they worshipped. He's got a floral crown on his head and he's, he's being chauffeured about the capital in this chariot drawn by war horses. And there's flowers in full bloom that have been scattered all across that street. 
Well, once that Roman general makes his entrance back into the capital city, the defeated commander would be forced to reenact how he had just been defeated. And then after that, he would be forced marched to a temple of Jupiter where he would be executed in front of the whole entire city. And to accompany this sensational visual display of street theater, suffused richly in the air, would be the smell of aromatic scents of cinnamon and of incense burning, of the smoke of sacrifice wafting it out of the altars of the gods. And if you were a Roman idol worshiper, what this meant was this is the smell of victory. This is the ascent, this is the aroma of Roman citizenship, of, of national security and, and, and of prosperity. So for most of the people at these Roman parades, this, this was the greatest smell imaginable. And yet for all of those who just lost freedom and family and even their own lives, that exact same smell and that exact same aroma was the fragrance of death and destruction. We got to understand this is what, what the principalities and the powers did to Jesus. As the principalities and the powers put a purple robe upon Jesus and they mock genuflect before him. And they take a crown of thorns and they gouge it into his skull and they then parade him up and down the streets with a cross beam upon his lacerated back. And they strip him naked and they crucify him nude on that cross in front of the whole world to see and all of these religious gatekeeper enemies of his are just marching up and down, back and forth at the foot of the cross, jeering him for six hours as he suffocates to death. You see, as they are doing all of this stuff to Jesus in this public, humiliating way, they, they thought that they put Jesus to shame forever and ever and ever. They were convinced that the very last picture that the world would ever see of this Jesus of Nazareth is what a loser. What a waste of human life. He has been put to shame in his crucifixion. And yet as the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae, though, we are given brand new eyes about the principalities and the powers and about who is triumphing over who because as Jesus goes to the cross and as he sacrificially dies for the sins of the world, Paul writes in Colossians 2.15 that as Jesus does all of this, God was disarming all of the rulers and all of the authorities and he was putting them to the open shame because he was triumphing over them in the sacrifice of Christ. And so now all of a sudden this has been completely turned upside down, hasn't it? Now, because of Jesus, now the disgrace of, of crucifixion of all things is what is putting these principalities and the powers to an open shame, not Jesus. It is all of those who are powerful in violence. It is the religious hypocrites of this world who are the real losers and among those who are disgraced. And it is in Christ Jesus that even if we are crucified, even if we are imprisoned or, or mocked or mistreated, it is those who are gentle and who are suffering 
who God looks at and says, no, 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 you are the conquerors of this world. And that's because Christ, as Paul says here, is always leading you and I in triumphal procession over anything and anyone who appears to be triumphantly processing over us. What this now means for you and I is that our problems and our circumstances and all of these heartaches of ours they aren't exactly how they appear. Well, once alluding to the fragrance of a Roman victory procession, Paul also reveals, he says in verse 15, that the, how the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just a proclamation, and yet the gospel of Christ is also a fragrance in this world. When the when that word gospel had been heard for the very first time by human ears, what, what it originally meant, what that word gospel originally meant in its original meaning was, this is the good news of Julius Caesar. This is the good news of Rome expanding its empire to yet another empire in this world. It was the good news that, that our Roman generals have just conquered yet another king or king or commander, or, or whoever it was. And yet now, notice, here is the Apostle Paul, where despite all of these hardships that he is facing, and all of these heartbreaks of his, he kind of steps back from his quandary, and he just kind of takes inventory. He casts his eyes on the author and perfecter of the faith, and when he does this, he arrives at the discovery, wait a minute, this is never a lost cause. In fact, as I step back and I'm looking at it now, I'm looking at a Roman world that is suffused with the precious, sweet fragrance of the good news gospel of a far greater king, of a far superior J.C., Jesus Christ. And it is spreading from city to city and it cannot be stopped and it will never be silenced by the principalities and the powers no matter what. Notice in verse 14 what exactly God is doing as he is leading us in triumphal procession in Jesus. There Paul says, notice he says, through us the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus is spreading everywhere that we go. Everywhere that we go where we are living lives in, in jubilant celebration of the love of Jesus Christ in a world of hate, when we walk through the door. We are just this breath of fresh air because, after all, Jesus is coming to town. Jesus is coming to dinner. Jesus is, is walking into the room. Well, it's here where Paul uses yet another word that these Corinthians instantly would have latched onto. And it is in this word that he uses where yet another beautiful dimension of our identity in Jesus is exquisitely revealed to us in living color. Where Paul says words that these people couldn't have even imagined. As he says, we are, this is who we are. He says, we are the aroma of Jesus. Say it with me. We are the aroma of Jesus. We are the aroma of Jesus. Hide that away in your heart. That, no, 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 
I am not who my past or my adversary is trying to convince me that I am. I am the aroma of Jesus Christ in this world. That word aroma was a word that would describe only the most pleasant smells in the world. And yet it is also a word that is reminiscent of the burnt offerings of the Old Covenant. I mean, there was just something so utterly sacred and so utterly holy about the sweet-smelling aroma of incense burning in the temple of Jerusalem in the morning and then again in the night. Only priests could, could, could offer up the incense and could burn it. And as God gives his instructions about how we are to, to offer sacrifices under the law of Moses, again and again in the book of Exodus, he says that it is to be a pleasing aroma when you make an offering to God. A burnt offering to the Lord. And so as those priests burned that incense and the, and the smoke wafted up and there into their nostrils, what, what washed over them is that this is not just any ordinary place. And this most certainly is not any ordinary presence that we are worshiping in. This, this is the presence, this is the energy of the living God. Sometimes I wish we burned incense in the churches of Christ. I really do. I wish we burned incense in the churches of Christ. And yet whether we do or we don't, what Paul is saying, what his whole point is, is that you are the fragrance. Is that we ourselves, we are the aroma, the incense. And that's because we smell like wherever we have just been. Now, when you spent the night in a bar, that is obvious to everybody who you go home to because you smell like cigarettes and Jack Daniels. When you've had, when I've had, um, when I have had um, a dinner at Kentucky Fried Chicken, my dogs know it as soon as I walk through the door. They're sniffing on my pant legs and they want to know if I brought home any chicken for them to eat. You know? But when we've been around Jesus all day long, We've been around his love and his mercy and his peace and his joy. People are going to immediately notice you know, who we have been hanging out with. We all remember that glorious scene in the book of Acts chapter 4 as, as the Jewish um, lawmakers drag a couple of, of the apostles of Jesus, Peter and John, before them and they start threatening these guys. And they say, you better never even speak the name of Jesus for the rest of your life ever again. Something very strange happens. They're not intimidated. They stand their ground and they say, we're going to let you know right now, we can't help but speak about this Jesus of ours. In other words, what they're saying, I mean, we can read between the lines, we cannot help but be the aroma of God in this world. Do whatever you want to to us, but we're going to go down bragging about Jesus until the day that we die. It says in the book of Acts in chapter 4 and verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that these were just, I mean, just everyday uneducated country bumpkins. It says that they were astonished. And then the key phrase where it says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
This is what it means to be the aroma of Christ in this world. That when you and I dare to face our hardships with the fearless faith and with the loving energy of Jesus Christ, when we spend our lives living in such a way that proclaims silently to the world, not my will, but let God, God's will be done, we take on that exact same aroma, that exact same fragrance of sacrifice and worship of the old Jerusalem temple, and it is ascending to the nostrils of God, and he's breathing it in, and he's closing his eyes, and he's saying, this is a, a, a pleasing aroma in my nostrils. Well, last of all, this morning, even though all of that is true and we are the aroma of Jesus, we have to understand that word fragrance that he uses. In the original language, it carries two very different meanings and shades of fragrance. And it all depends on what specific kind of smell that it happens to be. Now, we all have smells that we absolutely love. I mean, I love walking into a Cold Stone Creamery where it's got this very sweet, very distinctive smell. I love walking into Insomnia Cookies on Gay Street over on the square. I, as we moved here and I went there for the first time, I wanted to make it my office because I mean, it smells like hot cookies right out of the oven. And I want to smell like hot cookies, you know. I think my favorite smell in the whole world is, is summer rain and um, in Phoenix, Arizona. It never rains in Phoenix. It's out in the middle of a desert. But, but when it does rain, it's dry there. It is one of the sweetest smells that I've ever smelled. So we got smells that we love, but we also have smells that we aren't so fond of, right? Raise your hand if you love the smell of a, of a dead skunk on the interstate. Of rotten eggs in your refrigerator. Well, in verse 15, Paul says that we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Notice how he also goes on and he says, to one, it is the fragrance from death to death. To the other, it is a fragrance from life to life. And it reminded me of perfume. Now, it's been said, at least, I have heard that Chanel number no. 5 is the most iconic perfume that's ever been made. Even the bottle itself is considered to be iconic and legendary. It was made in 1921 by a French couturier whose name was Gabrielle Chanel. By the 1940s, it was a global fragrance. All the starlets were wearing it. Well, I'm sure that there's all kinds of people who say, I wouldn't wear anything else but Chanel number no. 5. And yet you speak to other women and probably what they're going to say is that is the worst scent that I've ever smelled in my whole life. <laughs> smells like a dead rat, you know? Well, as the aroma of God, as his Christ Chanel number no. fives living in this world as the aroma of God. See, there is a bipolar response that awaits us when we burn this incense in the world for Jesus. Now, Paul says that there are many who, who um, are dying and perishing, and they're going from death to death. What this means is that there are so many people who have already made a decision that, that, 
you know, I don't need Jesus. Jesus' nail-scarred hand is extended to them, offering them, them rescue and transformation, but their response is, no, thank you. I don't need any of that. I'm, I'm already good enough on my own. Thank you very much. And when these people see us living the Jesus way, it doesn't matter how Christ-like, how loving, how compassionate we are. They are just going to reject Jesus even more as they see the good news in us. Jesus makes reference to these kind of people in Luke 16, as he says, where, where even if a man's brother were to raise from the dead by the power of God and return to them and speak to them, they still would not believe in God. Such people, Paul says, plunge from, from destruction and death and emptiness. And when they hear it again, they are plunging to an even greater, into an even deeper depth of emptiness and death. And yet the good news for us as we close this morning is that what is trash to one person is treasure to another. Because we will encounter other people in this world where, where as they are going to breathe in the aroma of Christ and the energy of Jesus in us, they're going to say, that is the greatest thing that I've ever inhaled. These are people who just like us knew that, that Jesus would give them a brand new life. He's going to make things all new in their life, but, but they never in their wildest imaginations ever could have dreamed that they ever could have had this kind of life, this kind of joy in their everyday lives. Such people, Paul says, are going from life to life, and this is what we want. So perhaps there is something or, or someone who is triumphing over you this morning. Your spirit is not at rest. Maybe like the Apostle Paul this morning, you are facing some kind of a circumstance that is utterly making you feel burdened beyond your strength. Maybe even despairing of life. Well, before Amanda and I came to Westchester, I, I spent five years working at a homeless shelter in Ocala, Florida. And just last week, Carla Grimsley, who is a boss that I was working for there, she and many others who I used to work with, they had descended upon a city council session where rulings were, were going to be made. Now, at it's called Interfaith Emergency Services. They have this open shelter. And at this open shelter, there are all of these homeless mothers, homeless young children, homeless people who are, are disabled. They've got nowhere else to go. This is where they go to sleep at night and where they, they are safe. Doesn't cost the um, city a dime. No crimes have ever been committed in this open shelter. And yet all these people in this city were driving up and down the streets in their Lexus and their Rolls Royce convertibles. And it made them very uncomfortable seeing all of these homeless people in their city. So a bunch of them called city officials and demanded that you need to shut this thing down right now. We just can't have these kind of people. We just can't have these, these you know, animals running up and down our streets. Many of these people go to church, by the way. 
Well, the mayor happened to be there last week, and, and he had the very last word in this um, decision. He's looking at all of these homeless mothers in there, and these six-year-old homeless children, and all these guys who, who, who can't even move around, and he says, they're all just a bunch of criminals. They're just going to get high and, and commit crimes all, all over town. And his exact words to the council members was, quote, yeah, I don't want you to approve this open shelter. And as you might imagine, my former boss, and I saw others whose pictures appeared in a newspaper there, and, and they just looked very sad, as I would have been too. All of their homeless friends are, are just heartbroken that, where are we going to go now? We, we have nowhere to go tonight. What are we going to do? And yet I, I spoke to her just the other day, and I said, you keep your head held high, O daughter of God. Because even when it seems like the principalities and the powers have the last word, the principalities and the powers never, ever, ever have the last word. Jesus has the last word. And as people who are hungering and thirsting for justice and, and who are poor in spirit and, and who are going around spreading peace in this world, the aroma of Jesus Christ was in the room that evening. And yet to all of these so-called Christians, it was a scent of death. It smelled like a decomposing rat, even though it was the aroma of Christ. My brothers and sisters, even when we are the losers and the disgrace and, the, and those who are conquered in the eyes of this world, we are the winners, we are the conquerors, and we are the overcomers in the eyes of the living God. This God of ours who always leads us in triumphal procession, who through you and through me is spreading the fragrance and the aroma of his goodness everywhere that we go. So let's do it. I mean, let's, let's keep being the aroma of God everywhere that we go.